0: on us quicker every year. I just can't believe that uh, Christmas is upon us uh, this soon. I imagine uh, most of you uh, are planning to spend time with your family and friends this week, and I hope that you just have a wonderful time doing that. Uh, It was a day that they had guests over for dinner, and mom asked four-year-old Johnny to say the prayer. And Johnny said, Mom, I don't, I don't know what to say. And she says, Oh, you've heard Mom pray before. Just pray what Mom prays. And so he obediently bowed his head and said, Lord, why did I invite these people over in the first place? And better not laugh because that's how you're going to feel later this week. Amen. Hopefully you have all your shopping done and everything is uh, wrapped up there unless you're a man. And then we begin Tuesday. Amen. So uh, that's kind of how that works. A couple was, on a, <clears throat> was at a busy shopping center just before Christmas and the wife suddenly noticed her husband wasn't with her and so she called on uh, the cell, called him on his cell and said, where are you? Uh, We have a lot to do, a lot of stores to go where you're at. He says, (coughs) this is what he said, do you remember the jewelers we went into about 10 years ago and you fell in love with that diamond necklace? And I told you then I couldn't afford it at the time, but I said that one day I'd get it for you. And a little tears started going down her cheeks. She said, I remember that store. He says, I'm in the sporting goods store right next to that store. So, uh, real sensitive men, amen. Luke chapter 1, let's get down to business here. Reading at verse number 5 is where we're going to begin. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 5. The Bible says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, Uh, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense (coughs) when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Zacharias and Elizabeth. Father, I pray today (coughs) as we look at these folks and some others in Scripture that you would help us, uh, Lord, learn something that we can apply to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking at the people in this story, the, the story begins in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Now, in the days of Herod means more than just when Herod was king. We understand that this was a time of deep societal darkness. Herod was a wicked, wicked king. He was a very cruel and oppressive king. And it was a horrible time and a horrible place to live. This was the day that John the Baptist and Jesus Christ were both born into. This is a great reminder for us that in the darkest times, God is still at work. Amen? It doesn't matter our circumstances. doesn't matter the situations in our life. God can still do a great work. Do we live in darkness? Times today, I believe we do. Is God at work today? Absolutely, God is still at work today, and so we can be grateful for that. Now, Herod may have done well in politics. We talked more about him last week in the morning service, but he might have done okay in politics, but he was not impressive to God. The man that was impressive to God is the man that we'll next meet. He was an obscure priest by the name of Zacharias. There could not really be a greater contrast than between these men. Herod, the king of Judea, and then the Bible says a certain priest named Zacharias. One was a monster of iniquity, the other a man of integrity. One was a vicious prince, the other was a virtuous priest. One of them hated God, and one of them loved God. One was a man who had murdered his own son to remain in power. The other was a man who desperately wanted a son and could not have one. These two men were very different, and in this passage, Luke will ignore Herod and focus on this uh, priest, Zacharias. Zacharias was from the tribe of Levi, and he was one of the many, many priests in that day. He would have been one of, of many others doing the same thing he was doing. Now, many of the priests in Israel at the time of Zacharias were not good men, but Zacharias was one of those good ones. Just because people around you are corrupt does not mean that you have to be corrupt. We can be righteous in the midst of darkness, and Zacharias was such a man. Uh, He was, the Bible says, of the course of Abia. This refers to the organization of priests started all the way back in the time of David. Uh, There was such a great number of priests that the king had to accommodate them. So he created a rotating schedule where different courses of priests would serve at different times, and that way eventually they'd all get to serve in the temple. According to the Old Testament, they were divided into twenty-four different courses. Each division ministered twice a year, and uh, that would mean that that, uh, that well, there are special times of all there, but each division would minister twice a year. That way, uh, everybody would get to be taking a part in the worship. Now, when your course was gathered, it was your course's turn to minister, then lots were drawn within that course of who would have the privilege of going into the holy place to offer incense. Now, since this only happened twice a year for your course, and we don't know how many were in each course, but the scholars tell us 700 and above would be nothing for each course. And so uh, since you only served twice a year and you would be chosen by lot, it was very possible you would live your entire life and never get the privilege to go into the holy place. Uh, It would be extremely rare that you would get to do it twice. So this is probably Zacharias' only time that he was able to do this great privilege and this great honor. Uh, Was he nervous? Was he excited? I'm sure he was very honored (laughs) to be chosen by Lot to go in to the holy place. Uh, Zacharias was married to a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was Israel's first high priest, and, and Zacharias, he abided by the law of Moses, uh, marrying someone from the tribe of Levi. So he was not only uh, a priest himself, but he was also married to the daughter of the priest, or a priest, and so this would have been really set him high up in honor in Israel. It was a tremendous honor for him. Verse 6, the Bible says, They were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, this was a great couple. This was a very nice, uh, godly, sweet uh, a couple that you would have liked to know, one that would have been a joy for any of us to spend time with. The Bible says they were both righteous, and specifically the Bible says they were righteous before the Lord. This is important because uh, lots of people put on a show. In fact, The Bible talks much in the New Testament where Jesus would talk to the Pharisees because the Pharisees loved to put on a great show of their tremendous spirituality. Jesus himself said that they loved to pray in the sound of where other people would hear them pray and would think, oh, how holy the Pharisees are. Jesus called them whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Uh, They were uh, dirty inside, but they were clean outside. Well, that was not Zacharias and Elizabeth. I'm thinking of a man who talked continually about what a good Christian he was. He talked about how he sought the blessing of the Almighty. He talked about how Christian values would be the pillar of his new government that he wanted to form. He spoke of how solemnly he looked at his own God-ordained responsibility to lead the people. He regularly spoke to churches. He gave religious stories to the press. He would pull out his tattered Bible and talk about how he grew strength from it uh, to do what his daily work uh, consisted of. Scores of people welcomed this man as a gift sent from God. Truly, Adolf Hitler was a master of outward religiosity with no inward reality. Lots of people put on a good show. But what's on the inside is what really counts. And on the inside, for Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were godly, righteous before God. They were real. Oh, how the world needs real Christians. Amen? We're not talking about pretense. We're not talking about a holier-than-thou show. Just real people who have a real desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and live godly. (coughs) Folks, without pretense. And then here it says they were also blameless. Now this doesn't mean they were sinless or they were perfect, but it means they were faithful. This means that their godliness was not only on the Sabbath. They were not these Sunday morning Christians who only do right uh, when they're in front of other Christians, but then when they get around the, the worldly crowd, they live worldly. Lots of Christians are like that. Chameleons. They just become who they're around. Not Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were blameless. They were faithful. That's the people. Now look at the problem. There was one heartbreak in this little family of two. And that was the fact right there. They were just two. They were childless. Elizabeth was barren. In their case, it was hopeless. Because when you're barren, you're barren. Back, especially back in those days before modern medicine. Not only that, it was too late anyway. Verse seven says that they were both now well stricken in years. According to Jewish history and custom among the Jews, at age 65, you reach the commencement of old age. At age 70, you, you're said to have reached the hoary-headed age. You remember the Psalms talk several times about the hoary head. And age 80, you're said to be well-stricken in years. After 90, you have reached geezerhood. Okay, I added that last one, but uh, we can assume that they were in their 80s, they were well-stricken in years. Now, I don't know if they still had faith or not. Maybe they held up Abraham and Isaac, uh, Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. Maybe they thought, hey, God did it for them. Maybe God has an Isaac for us. But time has passed, and now they're getting too old for such thoughts <coughs> anymore. We see the place where he saw the angel at last, that time of the year came when the <coughs> temple service fell to Zacharias' division. And not only that did it fall to his division, but he was chosen by Lot to be the one to go in and offer incense. He was going to be the one to go into the holy place. Uh, Directly behind the golden altar where he would offer incense uh, was the veil, the Ark of the Covenant. Every Jew knew what was behind that veil. The Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. Zacharias would choose two helpers, tradition tells us. Uh, They would walk through the door, And uh, immediately when they got inside, they would see all the magnificence of the temple. One of his uh, companions would remove the remains of the previous day's offering, and then he would bow and back out reverently. The other would come over and lay upon the golden altar a bed of coals on the grate there. And then he too would bow, and he would back out of the room reverently. Now all that was left was Zacharias, the moment had come for him to do what he was there to do. He walks forward to the altar. He lays the incense on the fiery coals. Smoke and fragrance would rise up into the air. Uh, Those fragrance, by the way, would stick to him for quite a while so that as he went out among the people, everybody would know that he had been in presence of God in the holy place. He would wait for a moment for the incense to uh, start to rise in the smoke. The smoke and the rising incense uh, signify the prayers of God's people rising up to him. They w- This, by the way, would not be a lengthy process. Uh, he would put it on, he'd wait a moment, then he'd bow and also back out of the room reverently as his friends did. Outside, there were crowds of people praying. They expected Zacharias to emerge rather quickly because, again, it wasn't a long process, but little did they know what was happening inside the temple. Now that his duties were done, Zacharias prepares to back out of the sanctuary there. All of a sudden, he realizes he's not alone. On the right side of the altar, right by the veil that goes into the Holy of Holies, there is an angel. The altar of incense uh, is is uh, a very sacred place right there where he was at. the sacred location for this announcement. Zacharias was immediately struck with fear. By the way, Uh, Everybody in the Bible who encountered an angel was always struck with fear. And so the angel's first words, I love it, fear not, he said. Then the shocking news that he has to deliver. Thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. (coughs) Thou shalt call his name John. How many times had Zacharias and Elizabeth begged God for a child? In their 20s they would have prayed. In their thirties, they would have pleaded with tears. In their forties, desperation would begin to set in. In their fifties, hope would begin to be lost. Have you ever prayed for something for a long time? You ever prayed so long you feel like your prayers aren't even heard? The angel assures him here, thy prayer is heard. That's a blessing. That's a great statement. Sometimes long delays cause us to doubt that our prayers will ever be answered. The very first thing the angel says, though, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. No doubt he's referring uh, to the prayer offered many times over the years. God, give us a child. May I remind you of the tremendous heartache that this would mean for them in that day and age. It's a little different for us today, (coughs) yet I have, and you've probably too met people who longed for a child and could not have one. Back in that day, it was even more because it was a a social black mark against a family that could not have children, and it was something that weighed very heavy on them. It was a cause of deep sorrow, and they had given up all hope. J.C. Ryle said this about prayer. He said, we must beware of hastily concluding that our prayers are useless. It is not for us to prescribe the time or the way in which our requests are to be answered. (laughs) There's times for all of us that it seems like God from heaven has pressed the mute button speaking to us. We don't know if our prayers are heard or not. We just aren't hearing from him the way we wish we did. In those times, do not grow weary in your prayers. Can I tell you today, delay does not necessarily mean denial. Keep praying. Keep being faithful in your prayers. Praise God. Also, man's doubt will not cancel out God's plans. That's a blessing. We can pray and pray, and it seems like no one's listening. As in the case of Zacharias here, God had something phenomenal that he wanted to do through them, and so the prayer was not ignored, but the prayer was answered in God's good timing. And we can see the blessing of it in how God worked here. Now, all of that's true about God answering their prayer. We're not praying in vain. But I'd like to dig just a little deeper in this verse here, because let's not forget what Zacharias is doing here. Zacharias, as a representative of the people, is offering corporate prayer to God. When he comes in to pray and to offer that incense to the Lord and the prayers to the Lord raising up to him, he is praying on behalf of the nation of Israel. (coughs) He is He's basically their representative. And what was Israel's prayer at the time? They wanted a Messiah. They wanted a deliverer. That was the top of their prayer list. So is God then, when, when the angel says, thy prayer is answered, is the angel talking about Zacharias and Elizabeth's prayers that have been going up for years? Or is the angel talking about directly what, Eli, what uh, Zacharias is praying for right then? Thy prayer is answered. And the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> He's saying yes to both of those, I believe. Here it is, and here's the truth I want to leave you with you this morning here, that the answer to Zacharias and Elizabeth's prayers was intimately connected with the answer to Israel's prayers. John the Baptist was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He would have a son, Zacharias. He was to be called John. Jehovah is gracious is what that name means. And God was going to be gracious. He was going to be gracious to Israel in fulfilling all the promises that he's made, sending them a Messiah, his son. He was going to be gracious to Zacharias and Elizabeth, sending them a son, their son. He was going to be gracious all around. They could, and Zacharias, you hardly could believe his ears, a son. This long wait was about to pay off. Look at verse 14. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. With these words, the 400 years of silence from the Lord was broken. There had been some really rough centuries, those 400 years that Israel had gone through. They had been caught up between the struggle for power between Syria and Egypt. They had dealt with Antiochus. If you have ever read the history, he was essentially the first Hitler that tried to wipe out the Jews. He took 40,000 prisoners of Jew- Jewish prisoners and he killed another 40,000 in his attacks against them. Now, they had gained some independence by the closing of the book of Malachi. We see they had gained some of their independence back. But even as Matthew opens up, we see that there is no uh, no line of David sitting on the throne. They do not have a king as they should. They had Herod. They have him to deal with. They have the Romans to deal with. And in the midst of this time, this very dark time, John, the forerunner of Christ, would come. <coughs> he would bring joy to his parents. He would bring gladness to a nation. He would pave the way for Messiah himself. We see also here the disbelief. When the angel finished his declaration, Zacharias asked a question that got him into trouble. He says in verse 18, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. Essentially, he's saying, now listen, Mr. Angel, do you really expect me to believe this? My, I'm going to have a child. My wife's going to have, we're well stricken in years. We're old. We're too old to have children. So he asks for a sign, basically, whereby shall I know this? How are we going to know this is true? Now it's true that Zacharias and Elizabeth were past childbearing years, but the angel certainly expected that Zacharias would believe him when he told him they're going to have a child. Look at verse 19. You can almost see the the surprise and unbelief that the angel had, that Zachariah, he might have been as surprised at Zachariah's unbelief as Zachariah was about the announcement. You, You really know who you're talking to here? He says, I'm Gabriel. I'm coming directly from God. I'm one of God's messengers. You seriously going to question what God said? In light of his response... It's kind of helpful for us to jump ahead a few verses and look at the response that Mary had to Gabriel when he came to her six months later. Uh, He told her she would conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit that her child would be the Messiah. Her response is different than Zacharias. When he finished with that declaration, she says in verse 34, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Later in verse 38, she says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it according to thy word. Now, there's a subtle difference here in their responses. Zechariah wanted proof. Mary wanted understanding. Nothing wrong with wanting to understand what God is trying to tell us. Zechariah just could not believe that he and his wife could have a child. By the way, which is harder to believe? That an old couple might have a child? Or that a young girl who's never known a man would have a child? Both of them are humanly impossible. They're equally impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? As we see here, even strong believers, right? we can take this lesson from Zacharias, even strong believers can sometimes stumble through unbelief. The best of us can get caught in unbelief. Luke chapter 1, verse 6 makes it clear that Zacharias and Elizabeth were both strong believers who trusted God, but this was just so unbelievable. Zacharias, you could say, couldn't conceive of how his wife could conceive. He just couldn't understand. There's just no way. And by the way, I don't believe that his unbelief was due to a weak spiritual life. All of us struggle sometimes with unbelief. The angel (laughs) finally said, okay, Zacharias, you want a <coughs> sign? I'll give you a sign. You've said something real dumb, so we'll make you dumb, okay? Uh, you're not going to be able to say anything. Maybe this will protect you from spewing stuff like you just said. Uh, so until the baby is born, you're not able to speak. Luke uh, 1.20 here, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Even in this judgment, the judgment is thou shalt be dumb. We see mercy shall be fulfilled in their season. Here's what's what's wonderful here, that Zechariah's unbelief cost him his voice, but it didn't cancel out God's plans. Our unbelief, you know, it's never a good thing for us to have any unbelief, but we see God's sovereignty here all throughout this Christmas story. Not Zechariah's unbelief, not Herod's vicious rage, Nothing will stop God's plan from bringing his son into the world. All our unbelief, don't miss this now, all our unbelief will do for us is bring sorrow into our life. It's not going to cancel God's plans, any. It'll ruin, it'll ruin our situation, not God's. Zacharias was unable to speak. God will work his plan. So it was the greatest day in the life of this priest. He had been chosen to a position of great honor, being able to go into the holy place. <clears throat> he had met and spoke with an angel. His prayer for a son was going to be answered. And to his great dismay, he couldn't tell a soul about it. would <laughs> that be a sad thing? All the wonderful things, he, instead of coming out of the temple, being all fired up for what God did, preaching the good tidings to all the people, Instead, he came out mute. But I have an idea. He had a great big old smile plastered all across his face. And let's not be too hard on this old priest because we also are inclined to unbelief. All of us battle with this to some level. It's easy to look at a Bible story when we know the whole story. It's easy for us to see, oh, well, yes, of course, Joseph had faith because he was the second in command of all Egypt. Joseph wasn't the second in command of all Egypt when he was thrown in prison. He didn't know what was going to happen. You and I have the benefit of knowing what's going to happen in the end. So we look at Joseph's prison experience with a little less pain and sorrow. To us, it's worth it because of what happens at the end. But remember, these people in the Bible, they didn't know what was going to happen at the end. By the way, can I tell you today that we serve somebody that can see your end? He can see the whole story. He can see how it turns out. He can see the day that you get rewarded for what you go through today. Just Trust him. Have faith in him. But we're no different than Zacharias. We doubt. We have times of unbelief. We apply. This is what Zacharias did. We apply our human reasoning to the promise of God. That's what Zacharias did. Great promise, God, have a son and all that, but we're old. Human human problem applied to God's promise. We can't do that. I'll give you an example. This will bring it right down rubber meets the road where we're all at today, uh, where we're all at. Let's just talk about tithing. God promises that through tithing, he blesses. Essentially, here's what the Bible teaches us, that you can do more and you will do more, and you'll be more blessed with 90% than you are with 100%. That makes absolutely no mathematical sense, does it? doesn't make any sense at all, that 90% is more than 100%. But faith will tell you that that's true. And by the way, if you've done it, experience will tell you that's true. If you're a faithful tither... You could all stand up and give a testimony this morning of how God's worked through that. I don't know how that works. It doesn't make mathematical sense, but we know that it's a promise of God, and it absolutely has been experienced by many, including myself in this room. Faith will tell you it's true. Experience will prove it's true. Outside the temple, the worshipers are waiting for Zacharias. What was taking him so long? Then he appears, now he stands on top of the steps that lead from the porch to the court of the priests. According to Numbers chapter 6, <clears throat> when he comes out of the uh, out of the uh, holy place from, from offering incense to the Lord, he now gets behind a pulpit and he gives a benediction to the people of God. Of course, he can't do that because he is dumb. He cannot speak. And so he has no voice, and he makes motions. And the Bible tells us here that the people understood that he had seen a vision. But as the nature of things is, the excitement soon dies down around them. The rabbis probably wrote the whole thing off to the wishful thinking of an old man. Elizabeth, the Bible says, secluded herself for six months. Her her body probably needed all the rest it could get to give birth at her age. She secluded herself. So time passed. The world around them kept turning. People around them went around their business. They're living their lives. Everything is back to normal. But in heaven, about six months after this, God's clock is ready to chime again. When it seemed like there was no hope for this couple, they had waited for years for a son, God promised them and gave them a son. When it seemed like there was no hope for Israel, who had waited for centuries for the Messiah, the son, God sent his son to them. God stepped in. God made it clear that he has not forgotten his people. Oh, what a blessing the Christmas story is for us because of the fact that when Matthew starts out and Luke and John and And Mark and all these gospels start out with the uh, beginning and many of them the birth of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that this is after a long silence from heaven and it was broken. God had not forgotten his people. It grieves me that for many people this season, the season of Christmas, is a time of heartache for many. Maybe there are lost loved ones, broken families, prodigals in the far country. But I'd like to remind you today that God has not forgotten you, nor will he. Sometimes heaven seems silent. Sometimes it might seem like our prayers aren't even heard. But here, years and years later, an angel shows up and says, Zacharias, don't be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer has been heard. That's a blessing. Have you been praying and praying and praying? God hears you. Have you been waiting and waiting? God has not forgotten you. This Christmas season, put your faith and trust in him. Remember the words the angel said to Zacharias, fear not, thy prayers have been heard. Oh, what a blessing, friend. Our prayers are heard. Whether we feel like it or not, our prayers are heard and his will will be done. Let's make Jesus Christ the center of our Christmas season this year, let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. You may be here this morning, dear friend, and I know we didn't talk about it too much specifically today, but uh, these these blessings available <coughs> through the Bible are available only to the child of God. And You might be here today and say, Preacher, I've never ex- actually accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I don't know that if something happened to me right now that I'd be in heaven. I don't know that for sure. Would you slip up your hand and let me pray for you? I don't nobody looking around. I won't embarrass you. Just let me pray for you. Is that you this morning, friend? I don't know for sure. If something happened, I'd be in heaven. I pray that. I see that hand. I pray for you. How about you, dear Christian friend? Have you been praying? And It seems like he's not listening. He's listening. Trust in him. Let's have everybody stand with heads bowed, eyes closed. She's going to begin to play. I don't know how to...